In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. And welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode number 61, Changes. Changes. You know why I picked this song this week? Why'd you pick that, Erin? Well, I mean, number one, it's a David Bowie song. And it made me love you so much that you suggested this. I thought maybe, yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah. But also, what? Because there's a big change this week. There sure is. What's that change, Erin? We're sitting six feet apart (laughs) in the same room. We are. I'm staring into your eyeballs. I'm seeing your eyeballs. Oh my God. I could touch your eyeballs right now if I wasn't. I could do. I could touch them with my grimy, grimy fingers. <laughs> my, my, super my, co- my COVID covered fingers. Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are in the studio once again. We are. We are. For many months, we did uh, Zoom mm-hmm. recordings. Mm-hmm. And now things are starting to open up again. Aaron, you and I did some thinking about what we were comfortable with, mm-hmm. what we were ready to do. Yes. I will say I was um, trying to give you lots of outs, but you were pretty eager to get out of the house. <laughs> I was. That is fair. <laughs> that is fair. I was pretty much ready to go anywhere. In yeah. fact, mm-hmm. uh, when I got here, I realized that I had been driving so little that I forgot to put my car in park. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. <laughs> Lost the ability to drive. Yeah. And for the last, since quarantine really started, you've pretty much been staying at home. I have. Yeah. Yep. We kind of divided in our household. Um, Mike had to still uh, leave for work. So he was been the one that's, you know, done all the grocery shopping, all that. I mean, I've gone to the bank, like drive through type errands, but I have not been in a store or in somewhere else. So it's been just me and the kiddos. <laughs> <laughs> Was part of your decision today to come out so that you would not 
strangle your children. Yeah, 100%. Okay, okay, just checking. I mean, I feel glad that you wanted to see me, but I also feel being amused a little bit. You should. Yeah, it's both. It's both. In, in equal parts, probably. <laughs> and yes, we've set up our studio a little different. We're usually we're real close. We are like, very right close. in each other's breath. And we we can't do that right now. <laughs> so we're like cats stealing each other's breath normally. <laughs> That's right. That's how we do it. But this time, yeah, we're we're trying to observe a little social distance. We are while still doing this. We in are. Person. It feels so freaking good to be speaking into a microphone again and see your face. It does. And not be on Zoom. Yeah. And just, I mean, it was okay, but it's not the same. No, it wasn't the same. No. You know what else we did today? Oh. Aaron, you picked some some food up for us. I did. And what was that food? Big acai bowl. <sighs> and I can't tell you, like, we haven't had that since. Since it started. Yeah. And yeah, it was a smooth process. Kudos to them for figuring out a great way to get, you know, get their product out there without having any kind of risk. But I picked it up. We ate on your porch six feet apart. Sure did. And now we're in here six feet apart. Yeah, it's glorious. Life is great. We've got our cheap ass wine next to us. <laughs> so things are starting to feel a little normal. Things are A little good. more normal. A little more normal. A yeah. new normal, you might say. Yeah, that's a new catchphrase, isn't it? it the sure new normal. Is. So sure how long is. before that come, becomes some products tagline? Oh my God. The new normal. I think it's already there. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of companies are using that. I know mm-hmm. my company is using that. Um, but that's part, kind of part of why you chose this song as well for our theme, right? Yeah. I want it. I mean, you could take changes a lot of different ways. Life changes, things that need to change, changes that are happening. So it felt kind of nice and broad. But also, just there's so many changes. Nothing looks the same Mm-mm. like it did a few months ago. No. Yeah. From pretty much any lens that you look through. So it felt, you know, for our first thing back to talk about some changes. Perfect. It was a great way to get our feet wet again. Yeah. So a lot of our picks are around like new normals or like new, you know, realities. Yes. Kind of thing, which is what we're facing now. Yes. But you know what? Getting a little big acai, which if if you haven't Ooh. listened to us from the beginning, that was part of our Sunday routine. It was. We get some big acai. We talk about stuff. Then we come to the studio. We steal each other's breath and we record an episode. <laughs> Yes, we stole breath and recorded an episode, so. Isn't it weird that now, like, thinking about our previous routines of things, like, yeah, we were really close. Yeah. Like, and it felt fine. Yeah, I was never worried. Yeah, I wasn't worried about it. And now, yeah, it's, yeah, it's horrifying. Even if you have COVID nineteen, I want I want to touch you still. That's I fair. Wanna, That's fine. Wanna, it took a lot not to hug you. I'll I know be it felt yeah. weird. Like I was being rude. I, like I was should have been, but I didn't. I know. I kept it a safe distance. I'm not. I, you know. We're trying. We're trying. We're trying. We're fighting our ride or die instincts. Yes. We're fighting them, so we're not touching. We're not hugging as much as I want to. Mm-hmm. Put these COVID fingertips. All on your all face. Over all your face. over the face. Yes. We are trying to be mindful. A lot of places have gone back to work or to some level of that. And we're just trying to observe still the same kind of distance and things that they're asking us to do. But also, you know, I think everybody's kind of desperate to have some sort of yes. routine maybe. Yeah. You know? And connection to the people that yes. we haven't, you know, seen in a while. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I've only seen you on Zoom. I know. And it felt it felt so far. It's not it's so far away. It's not the same. I even showered today. What? I know. Well, I was like, she's seen me not showered for quite some <laughs> weeks. So 
I'll just make one, this effort. One decision we made early on when we were doing Zoom is it records video, but we were like, hell no, we're not showing that to our listeners. No one wants that. No. No one wants no. that. No. Plus, we make some faces at each other oh, sometimes boy. that I don't need the world to see. Nope. Nope. About ourselves. I'm not making sure. fun of anyone. I no. just, things I say sometimes that behind the scenes, I think, why did I say that? Yeah. You've probably thought that listening, <laughs> listeners. Why'd she say that? And if you have that feeling, I'm probably making a weird face on the other side. We are very, uh, we're very expressive with our faces. Mm-hmm. We can't really clamp these down very easily. No. We don't have a poker face as no. Lady Gaga would um, <sighs> exhort us to. But we, yeah, we, we just can't do it. There's a reason this is an audio podcast. Mm-hmm. If we're living by Lady Gaga standards, I fail in a lot of respects. <laughs> so we're not going to start. I mean, Poker Face is one of them, but there's a few others. <laughs> I mean, no one can live up to those expectations. No. Mm-mm. No. Well, okay. So if we're looking at it, I mean, we know that some places that listen to us aren't even as further along in the maybe easing of restrictions yeah. or um, quarantine looking different yet. Mm-hmm. Some places are. Some places are further ahead. Um, so wherever you're at, you know, we're still thinking about everyone and hoping that you're figuring out something that works for you and your family and that you have some level of comfort with however that looks. Yeah. Um, so thinking of that, yeah. what's the best thing that's come out of this pandemic quarantine slash lockdown situation for you? An unexpected thing, which is that I've come to appreciate video conferencing before <laughs> It was a plague that I wished to ignore. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was um, at my workplace when we would do video calls, I would be very, very, very uncomfortable. Even just between friends, I don't like really to talk on the phone. I don't like FaceTime. I think I've used FaceTime once in my whole life. Yeah. I just don't like it. But now that we were forced to, it actually became something enjoyable it became a, a way to connect, like a group of my college friends. We just had a Zoom um, for the first time last week, and we've never done that. But that might be something that we do now to stay a little more connected. Which I yeah. thought it's such a great thing, you know. It, this forced us to do that. I also really like the fact that we've been able to interview our authors and see their faces. That's been really cool. I was really nervous about that when it started just because we've never done that before and I didn't know how that would be. But it really adds something to the interviews. Getting to see where they, a lot of times where they write or work Mm -hmm. and they can pick up a book and show us what they're talking about. It's been very engaging and really fun. Yeah. Very fun. It, it really adds something to the conversation. It does. Uh, we did have to uh, promise them we wouldn't show video because I think they felt the same way as us. Like, no one wants to see this. No, no one I'm wants not prepared to see. for yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't get my glam squad hired <laughs> to get ready for this. So, Do you have a glam squad? <laughs> no. Who would be your glam squad? Would it be Mason? Would he, your six year old, your seven year old? I don't know if I'd give him that. Yeah, my six year old. I don't know if I'd give him that kind of control yeah, over my face. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. No. No. Can you imagine he does your face and then you get on an interview with one of our favorite authors and you're like, oh, dear, this was a miscalculation. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because this is the kid that will frequently just like like rough up my hair so it stands (laughs) up crazy because it can get that frizzy quality and just laugh and walk away. Oh, oh, okay. Well, more of a play thing to him than a parent. Well, knowing how um, quarantine has been for you and nonstop contact with your children, yeah, yeah. Uh, what advice would you give your pre-pandemic self? Settle down. <laughs> what the F are you worried about? You don't even know what's coming. 
Get your ducks in a row because shit's yeah. about to hit the fan. Yeah. Oh, think about it. We were so innocent and naive back yeah. then. Just stuff that I was so worried about that was futile. Yes. We were discussing earlier that uh, we both feel like maybe we've um, found a new normal in the sense that we're not trying to get so much done during the day. Like some of that expectation is a little bit gone because everybody's trying to work under different conditions. You know, my children have been home. There's a school component to that. Um, and so giving yourself that break has has been great. Mm-hmm. I noticed that I was telling Amy that I was looking through some planners. Um, I was setting up June's planner and I was like, what was I thinking? Why was I trying to get all this done in a day? Why was I trying to be, do 20 things and then yes. get pissed at myself when I didn't do them all? Yeah. Or pissed because I didn't have time to do something I wanted to do. Yes. Like, it's fine. Settle down. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing is that I feel like at the beginning, I was it was a lot. I was feeling a lot of pressure with the kids and the school and, you know, what's my responsibility with them and all that. And I really just settled into like, let's just, this is a great time to just have some fun together and, you know, whatever happens, happens. We'll work it out on the other side. You know, if they have to spend a few hours in front of the TV because I have a little bit of work to get done, it's going to happen and we'll make up for it later. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's got to be a give and take. And I think that's kind of true in my whole life now. You know, it doesn't have to be so... Like, there's only one way to do this. But especially in those early, like, pandemic days of quarantine, everything felt so fraught. I mean, it still does feel fraught in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, but everything just felt so, like, unprecedented. We hadn't reached this new state of a new normal where we kind of know a little bit of what to expect. Mm -hmm. It was just all so unprecedented that... Yes, very much. It's very scary. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would definitely just say settle down. Mm -hmm. It's... You really have no actual worries yet, yeah. so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. guess what? You're going to spend some nights awake thinking your kids are going to die, so get prepared <laughs> for that. <laughs> get ready for that. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> and then plotting their deaths when you're really sick of them. Yeah. You're going to spend so much time watching CNN that you're going to talk to the anchors like you know them. Get ready for that. <laughs> what, you don't have a close personal relationship with Van Jones? No, I'm not going to say I wouldn't want one. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, great reporter, great looking man. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. He is sharp. <laughs> I'll give him that. <laughs> oh, uh, what advice uh, would you give your post-pandemic self? Well, oddly, ride or die, same thing. Calm the fuck down. Yeah. Because, yeah, I th- like we were saying, like I think we had become used to this sense of constant need for productivity that was that we weren't quite recognizing was burnout. Like we were burned Mm. out Mm -hmm. and only probably in the last month or so have I really got comfortable with, yes, it's okay to not feel, you know, that I'm being super productive. It's okay that I am going to bed at 9 PM. It's okay that, that I'm taking more breaks than normal. And you know what? This might be good for the future. Like maybe I don't need to try and cram as much in every Mm -hmm. day. I think part of it is our culture. We're just such a productivity-oriented culture mm-hmm. um, that, and even in the beginning of pandemic, like there were all these posts on social about, oh, this is all the time I can do for this, this, and this, which is so misguided. We were yes. not understanding how much this was going to take a toll on us. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope in a way, like we said, that we can retain this after we start moving into this new normal and not try and be so goddamn productive all the time at the expense of our sanity yes. and fatigue. Yeah. 
You know, one thing that I think too that I would like to see continue because I think it's been helpful is I think that there's been more of an open door to check on people, yes. if that makes sense, yeah. like to check in and say, hey, are you feeling this way? Like, is this something you're experiencing? Because everyone was sort of having this common experience. It it made it feel okay to be vulnerable to some degree. Yeah. And I think that that is helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really made me feel better when I was reaching out. We've talked to a lot of authors that had the same thing that my go-to has always been reading. And when that wasn't there, I felt like, am I taking this too seriously? Mm -hmm. Am I losing part of myself? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I need to do? And to hear that other people were going through the same thing, maybe be able to just relax and let it work itself out. Not stress so much about solving the problem. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right in that just just the the issue of us being able to read or not and then talking Mm -hmm. to other people about it, it really opened up a door that, you know, we can maybe talk about more things than, you know, be a little more vulnerable than we were. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, Erin, if you were going to write a self-help book for people going through changes, whether it's a pandemic change, whether it's just a life change, what would it be about? Well, first of all, the title would be, it's okay to cry a lot often and for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's my number one piece of advice. Yeah. My yeah. second, it would be like, just embrace some stuff, you know, whatever helps you. If it helps you to start a conversation in 30 seconds and say, never mind and walk away, <laughs> do that. Which has been your MO. Yeah, it has been of late. It's okay if yeah. you need to do some weird things like, you know, spend an hour blasting rap music in the shower just I mean, to pretend you're not you? somewhere else. That's Are you fine. doing J-Lo rapping in the well, shower? Because I know that was your go-to. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I do love J-Lo. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. That is true. But the other thing that I would say would be a very important chapter in my book is whatever you do, do not play the It Could Be Worse game. Oh. Because if we've learned anything this year. Oh, God. You shouldn't say it, it could be worse. worse. Because the last time someone said that, we talked about murder hornets. And then the next time someone said it, other terrible things happened. And we can't be doing that anymore. Collectively, we need to say, this is bad. We're at our our tipping point. We can't handle anything more. No. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm -hmm. But it would be a lot of blank pages. It would just be like this (laughs) sentence and then just skip and then... Will you like put in prompts like, oh, you haven't cried in a while. Go to the shower and yeah. take a shower and cry. Yes. And then come back to the book. Absolutely. Uh-huh. There might be like some um, kind of like choose your own adventure element. Ooh. Like this happens. You choose to bottle up your emotion and pretend it didn't. <laughs> a. B. You go to the shower and cry. C. You find something amazing on Netflix and sit in the TV mm. for 10 hours. What do you choose? And then I would explain how misguided it is to bottle it up. I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Wow. I think this is going to be a bestseller, especially Mm -hmm. because of the title. Mm -hmm. I mean, that will that will draw a lot of people in. There's going to be a lot of pages that just say reread the title. (laughs) In case you forgot, remember what this book is called. Remember that title? Yeah. Go back there. Start (laughs) over. Have yourself a good cry. Start at page one again. (laughs) Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've learned a lot in the last three months. We have. We've grown so much. (laughs) And in other ways, we haven't. And that's okay, too. I've regressed in other ways, and I'm embracing it. I love it. But here we are. Here we are. And I think it's time to talk about some picks. Changes. We're talking about picks in person. 
talking about changes, new normals. And the first uh, fiction pick that I have is a recommendation we got from Mona Awad during her interview. Oh. Way back when, before pandemic. Before so, pandemic, you know, yeah. which... Should we have like a BP, like before pandemic? Ooh. Like ooh. a BC or a yeah. AD? Yeah. BP, I like that. Yeah, BP. Okay, so BP, Mona Wad recommended this book, okay. and I read it because I trust her. As you should, because yeah. hello. And it's a hell of a book, so let me tell you about it. It's called The Heavens by Sandra Newman, and it's from 2019. So the book starts in New York City in the summer of 2000. And there's this party and there's a bunch of 20-somethings that are talking about politics and what's going on in the world. And there, Ben meets Kate and they fall in love. There's something a little strange about Kate, though. She has this recurring dream ever since she's been a kid where she's in the past. She's a woman named Amelia in the past who was a mistress to a nobleman in 1500s England. Okay, Still I'm following in. me? Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm in. Soon she becomes involved with a man named Will Shakespeare. Not just any Will. Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> so she, you know, she's having these dreams. She's falling in love with Ben. So she tells Ben about these dreams. And he's not too concerned at first because they just seem like dreams. But then the dreams become more intense. When she wakes up, things have changed. It's small things at first. Her room is decorated differently. There's a different building down the street on her New York City block. Then it starts escalating. There are different people in her life. There are different leaders, like a different president altogether, different things going on in the world. Increasingly, though, Kate will wake up and Ben will have to explain all these things to her about this world that she's woken up in that she doesn't recognize at all. And so he is starting to worry that she's losing her mind. So I chose this for this theme because every time Kate wakes up, there's this completely disorienting new normal that she has to quickly adapt to and try and figure out, did I do this? Did I make this change? Or am I going insane? Mm -hmm. Like legit, what's happening? Like, for example, when the book begins in 2000, the U.S. is led by a President Chen, who is a woman and an environmentalist. After a few dreams... She comes to the world that we know of 2000, where it was George W. Bush and the September 11th attacks were oh. underway. Pretty soon, it's even darker as she oh. keeps dreaming. It's this incredibly beautifully written book. I enjoyed it so much. I, I tore through it in some places, but at some moments, I just really appreciated it as well. It kind of feels like you're reading multiple books at once, which is so oh. kind of cool. It's jarring, but it makes complete sense at the yeah. same time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, I found this NPR interview that Sandra Newman was in, and she says that she sees these sort of disorienting shifts that are happening um, as a metaphor for the Trump era. And here's what she says. The world is changing beyond recognition, and things happen that seemed inconceivable just a few years ago. (laughs) We don't understand how we got to this place. We're looking at history and trying to find all of the strands, all of the causes of this strange effect that we see all around us. And in some ways, like reading that quote, it kind of felt like this is also an apt metaphor for the COVID-19 era. You know, it's just we look around and the world just seems completely foreign in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Um, Nothing looks or feels the same and it keeps changing. And and in a way, we're kind of haunted by what used to be or what we think should be. Mm -hmm. And this book feels so very relevant to this time in that way, as well as just a very enjoyable, um, highly entertaining read. Wow. 
That's amazing. I remember her talking about that and thinking yes. it was great, but that now you reminded me. Yeah. I actually got it from the library and I loved it so much I bought a copy. <gasps> Boom. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a high recommendation right there. So if you'd like to borrow my copy, you're Ooh. welcome to. Oh, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, the pick that I brought this week um, is a book that I uh, just finished recently. And I actually uh, have never read this author before. She has a couple other books, and I will definitely read those other ones now. It's called The Knockout Queen by Rufy Thorpe. Mm-hmm. It was published on April 28, 2020. So she oh was boy. in the midst of yeah. you know trying to sell a book when everything's crazy. Um, this takes place, it, it tells a story of kind of a friendship going through the early stages through a high school period. And the two main characters are Bunny Lampert and Michael, who happens to live next door. And they live in this um, town, North Shore in California, that's kind of um, going through its own changes in that it's like there are mansions and then like a really old house right next to it. It's like the area is being taken over by wealthy people and they're coming in and tearing down these houses and building mansions. So the people that haven't sold out yet are kind of in between these wealthy pockets of people, um, which is how we meet Michael. He is um, coming from a situation. He's living with his aunt next door. His mom spent some time in prison um, for, and his dad is uh, not in his life. And so his aunt had stepped up and brought him to her house. But she's struggling. She has a son of her own that's his age. and But she takes him in, says, you can stay here. Um, he doesn't really fit in at the high school. So he hasn't, in middle school, kind of when this starts, he doesn't have an outlet. And he ends up meeting Bunny Lampert, who lives next door. And in his mind, she was this really popular, amazing girl at school. Um, didn't realize how much insecurity she had because she actually has a uh, growth disorder that makes her freakishly tall. So she's like heads and tails over all the other girls, all the guys, and she's growing so fast sometimes that she can't even, her body can't keep up. Like she loses coordination because she's growing so fast. But she settles in and is like this high-level volleyball star for the team. But that's really, like, people see her as that, but they don't really take the time to get to know her. And Michael's struggling with the fact that he's closeted and has not come out to anyone. His aunt has hinted that she has an idea, but they've never addressed it directly. So they kind of find each other, and they develop this amazing friendship where they are very honest and vulnerable. And it takes you through some big life changes with them. One in particular in which uh, a rumor gets started about Michael and Bunny ends up defending him with disastrous, violent results. And the rest of the story takes us through kind of how their friendship changes, um, what the rest of their lives look like because of this change and how the other people in the story don't change because of it. Um, it The book is... It's a almost a dark comedy in some spots. Like it's funny. Um, it's really captivating. The characters are really interesting. Um, I loved the dark comedy aspect because when you're talking about changes or life changes, like that's how I deal with everything is humor. So that's so on point for me. The Michael character was, I loved him so much. Almost all of his conversations or the things that he said in conversation were terrific. Um he gives some incredible insights about marriage, relationships, about himself. Wonderful. But I also liked that you're seeing all these different reactions to the same event, which I think is so true of change in general, life changes. Everybody reacts to things so differently. Uh, and we've obviously seen that, you know. Oh, yeah. And so 
I like that. And I like the idea that you're sort of forced to identify yourself in a new way or to find a new side of yourself when you go through a change. I mean, that's kind of the definition of a change. You come out and something's different and it's kind of how you take that. And so I loved the exploration of that as a theme in this book. Um, This quote from, I picked this one from Michael because I thought it was so great. That was the thing that was turning out to be the most difficult about being a person. The people I had the most sympathy for were almost never the ones that everyone else felt sympathy for. Mm-hmm. And I was, there's so many great quotes like that from him in this book. It was really great. I thought it was so well written, so interesting. Um, I definitely will read, go back and read the other two books she published prior to this, but it was great. Excellent. And that's a great point that um, change can often be very painful. Um, it, it very often is. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved also that uh, responding with humor. I think that's something you and I absolutely do because, I mean, otherwise you can't quite feel normal yeah. if you can't laugh at something or mm-hmm. you can't find a, a, a shred of something to laugh at. Yes. I mean, for example, we found a great joy in my new uh, club of feral cats. They were hanging out on yes. my porch. Yes. And have we told this story? I don't think so. No. Mm -mm. This is something that's changed for pandemic wise for me as well. I discovered that uh, a gang of feral cats has taken up residence on my porch, by which I mean at night they would come onto my porch, hang out on my furniture and knock shit around and just have a good old fight club slash sex club. We never quite figured out. No, we don't know what it is for sure. And either way, it's not it's not great. But my reaction was to, hey, let's let me leave some food out for these cats because I don't know, that's where I was in my life. And this has been a couple of weeks ago now. Immediately though, when I started putting out the food, the stuff around the furniture stopped. They suddenly took great care with my furniture. There were a few muddy, muddy you know, paw prints. Just reminders. Just reminders that they're still around. But they're not, there's no obvious signs of cat sex or cat fighting or anything. I mean, I'm sure it's still happening, but they're being a little more respectful now. However, it was pointed out to me, this is straight up extortion. My cats, my feral cats are extorting me for the food and granting coverage of my patio furniture as a result. Um, what kind <laughs> of club are you running during the day, per se? Oh, oh, that's right. So, yes. Because it's not just a nightclub. <laughs> for a while, Aaron and I were taking great pleasure in talking about me being a DJ for these feral cats mm-hmm. at, uh, at night as they go about their fight club and sex club business. During the day, though, I've also set up a bird feeder. And it is the hip, hip place for all the birds to be. So we've decided that there will be a day shift for the DJ mm-hmm. in which it'll be, you know, chill, chill music, coffee house type music. Light jazz. Light- <laughs> <laughs> Some light jazz. And then at night, it's going to be like techno, industrial, goth, all the hard shit. DJ Meowie. <laughs> what was great, though, is at one moment, about a month ago, deep into quarantine, deep, I told you about this via messenger, and I said, what would my DJ name be? And within five seconds, you came back with like five different names. So <laughs> you were ready for this to happen as well. I was, yeah. Which tells you a little bit of insight into me during quarantine that I was like, yes. Give me something to put my brain power to. Yeah. And you did. My favorite one was probably the simplest one, DJ Red. I do like that one too. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That was pretty great. Yeah. And you had DJ Meowie in there. Yeah. Yeah. 
nod to your Bowie love. Yeah. And your cat and love. And the cat love. Yeah. And the birds, you know, they're like, whatever. It's fine. Like, the cats aren't eating us. I mean, really, you're just doing that to pay the bills. You got to play some light jazz during the day so that you can buy the fancy equipment. And the cat food. Yeah, yeah. I got to buy that cat food now. You do. That's otherwise, you're going to lose your furniture. I was going to say, that's just a weekly expense I've added now to the budget. Yeah, exactly. I imagine the music now for the birds being like when you go, yeah, like into Starbucks and they're just, you're like, what? Did I hear this song? It's like the third time this song is played. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for a while, it was that song from A Star is Born just over and over again. That'd be what I play for the birds. (laughs) It was always what? Oh, man. They could not get enough of that. Weren't they selling the CD or something? Yeah, I think they were. Okay. Yeah. That's a marketing opportunity for you right there. But if we go that way, then we need a lot of movie love songs. For the birds during the day. Love lifts me up where you belong. <laughs> oh, man. I've had the time of my life. life. Yeah. Wow. I love lifts. Wow. That was that was so on the nose that I loved it. Wow. Yeah. The Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Dolly Parton oh, too, but Whitney Houston version. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's where my life is. I'm fine with it. And it, it, you know, it gives me great joy during this time of pandemic. (laughs) Now, if you ever feel threatened, I hope that you'll reach out. Well, as I told you, this week there was a a turning point Mm -hmm. in which I saw a cat come across my porch a little earlier than normal. Um, So I was like, all right, I'll take out the food now. So I brought out the food. The cat, usually the cats, when I'm around, they run. They don't want nothing to do with me. This time, though... The cat was a like a socially distant uh, distance away, uh-huh. was watching me, and I was like, hey, here's some food, and the cat was just watching, watching, and uh, had no fear of me whatsoever. So you met the enforcer. Okay. <laughs> All right. To be clear. Okay. <laughs> Would that be Big Pussy, like yep. from Sopranos? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Right there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We need to name all of them. Well, we gave them sort of names earlier. We did. Over Big Acaibo, we decided that they would be Salt, Peppa, Spinderella, Queen Latifah. Spinderella is the best name <laughs> in the history of names. <laughs> Maybe if there's more, some TLC names. Left Lisa Eye- Left Eye Lopez. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Where, where, do, where do we go from there? Do I just go into my next pick? I is that what we go into your next pick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the author, yeah, the author of this will really appreciate the association okay. with the Feral Fight Club because okay. it's Carmen Maria Machado in the Dream House, oh, yeah. Yeah. a memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Carmen Maria Machado wrote this, or it came out, excuse me, last year, 2019. Uh, a, a very short description of this would be it's a memoir of an abusive relationship between two women. But the the structure here of the book is so inventive, it's so interesting that it becomes something much more than than just a memoir, I guess you would say. Most of the story takes place in this really sort of cozy, pretty house in Indiana where Machado and her nameless girlfriend, the girlfriend's never given a name, they start living together shortly after they meet. And at first it's great, you know, they're young, they're in love. But the dream life and this dream house kind of quickly turns dark. Machado's girlfriend becomes violent. She becomes very cruel and destructive. She is cutting down in very emotional and verbal ways. She's cheating, or excuse me, she accuses Machado of cheating. She throws things. She screams. She berates. She demeans. It is everything you don't want from the person that you love. And what's kind of cool is that when... Uh, 
uh, Machado writes about the past and the abuse, she uses the you form, the second person. Oh. So I think it's brilliant because it puts the reader in that situation, mm-hmm. puts him right in that house, in that relationship, on the receiving end of all of this shit that's coming yeah. from the girlfriend. Plus, along the way, uh, Machado is sort of trying to create a new narrative of queer domestic abuse because there isn't much out there. She says that before meeting her ex, she'd never heard about situations like this, about same-sex relationships where there was abuse involved, just never seen anything, never heard about it. And I think that so many women feel this way, even straight women. Abuse is not always talked about very clearly, but when you're in a a same-sex, a lesbian relationship, there's even more quiet about that. You don't don't hear about that. Mm -hmm. So she writes in these sort of short vignettes and there's memories, there's thoughts on queer representation, there's even a legal history of lesbian domestic abuse. And I chose this book for this theme because it, it becomes clear that living in an abusive situation can creep up on someone, and soon it, it can just be the new normal. And it's a terrible normal, one that threatens everything, but it's a normal nonetheless, and it's one that people can't quite see their way out of, Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and thankfully, you know, Machado found her way out. She, when she writes about her current day, she uses the word I. So it's like she's kind of found herself. She's assumed who she is now. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that past, but also she's moved out of that situation. So yeah, it's a, it's a really, have, have you read it, Erin? I forget. No, okay. I haven't. It's yeah. on my list, but I have not. Yeah, it's, it's very affecting. It's, it's a quick read in a lot of ways. Um, there's, there's some really deep and painful stuff but also some really lift uh, uplifting stuff as well wow very good well I, I when I was thinking about this episode I kind of took it three different ways so the first the fiction pick I kind of looked at is like life changes things that change you know just because you're getting older or the circumstances in your life are changing so for for my nonfiction pick this week um, I picked something that was like changes we want to see changes that we need um, I had already been thinking about this and now I'm I'll be honest it feels very on the nose um for now I know that Amy's read this book as well but the nonfiction book I picked for this week is called White Fragility Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin DeAngelo and this was published in 2018 by Beacon Press um so when this episode comes out we're not that far away from the George Floyd uh murder and the subsequent riots and protests. And I pulled this book out and started reading it again um, because I feel that in these times, that's one of the best things I can do as a white person is to say, you know, what am I not understanding? What? How can I help the situation? How can I learn? How- yeah, how can I learn, you know? Um, and not to say that I need that because I don't understand what's happening, but more so just I, I, it would be devastating to me to be part of the problem. Absolutely. And until we can all get on the same page and start having the discussions the problem's going to exist. And I've seen this now on social media. All over the place. And I saw um, at least one bookstore that I follow on Instagram has sold out of their copies because they keep getting requests for this book, which is... That's kind of great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And you read it too, I know. Um, I actually came upon this book because of our bonus episode with Julia Phillips. This was the book that she recommended that everyone read. And I'm sure she would back that up, recommendation up even more now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, in this day and age, but this is the author. If you're if you're not familiar with her at all, 
She's an academic lecturer, author. She works in the fields of critical discourse analysis and whiteness studies. Um, she's white. She identifies as white. Um, and she actually coined the term white, white fragility in 2011. And what that means is she was referring to the defensive moves that white people make when challenged racially and then the feelings and subsequent behaviors that we then employ to prevent any cross-racial dialogue. So this is a kind of a deep dive into how that develops, how this continues to protect racial inequality, and then what we can do to engage more constructively, how we can have those conversations. Um, for me, for this week, this theme, it just felt like a lot sometimes with change is like, oh, something needs to change. We need to do something, but we but never how? know how. Yeah. We never know what the answer is. And especially with topics like this, it can just seem so big and so overwhelming. And you can feel so small in yes. the big picture. Yeah. But it's really, this book is really a call to start having those conversations in your everyday life and to not be afraid of them, that it's okay to say you don't understand something and to learn about it. Um, it's okay to admit that you're not sure what something means or how you offended someone and to learn. That's that's all that we can ask of each other. Um, what's not okay is pretending that you're, you know, that you would never be offensive and that there's no way you could ever do that. And or that, that you've never have in the past. Correct, yeah. yeah. Uh, which I, for me, that was just... It was just a great book in the sense that it, it even it opened my eyes to that, you know, in, in our need to say, no, I'm not like that. I feel educated and I've learned so much. I would never is that in and of itself is a false statement. Yes. So it I, I, this speaks to a lot of people. I think it's very accessible as far as like an academic text goes. Um, it's a lot of great examples, a lot of eye opening examples, and it gives you a lot of tools to be able to start to talk about it mm -hmm. and start to say what, you, you know, each of us, no matter how we identify what we can do to start taking steps forward to make this better for everyone. Yeah. So great pick. I think it's so relevant right now, especially, yeah. but um, one thing that I really liked about it too, is that, you know, she, she says that in her personal, um, you know, interactions with uh, these, these people that she's, you know, facilitating discussions with, that racism is often just seen as like the KKK, or it's often just yes. seen as like white nationalists. Yes. It's the very extremely overt racism that we associate with bad, bad mm -hmm. people. But racism is, racism is not that simple. Those just, those are just the, you know, top <laughs> of this whole huge uh, pyramid of racism that's built into our society, the systemic in so many levels. And I think she really does a really good job of uh, dissecting that a little bit and also pointing us to all the things we might not be understanding that are elements of white privilege and, and all of these other, yes. yeah, it's, I, I found it very, very powerful. Yeah, and, and to me, the term white fragility goes a long way to explain that that lack of understanding some people have. Well, like I, you know, there isn't, I'm not, of course, white supremacists are terrible. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in that. I wouldn't do that. But they don't see on the other side how they're helping perpetuate some of these things by yes. not understanding, A, either the privilege that they have, or B, understanding that that's not a common experience yeah. for everyone. Yeah. So, I, yeah, one of my favorite quotes in there, and I think it's in the beginning or in the introduction, is when she, and this reminds me so much right now, um, and it's, you know, a couple attributed to a couple of different people because it's been in a movie or something too, but when um, the real trick of the devil is to convince you that he doesn't exist. Yeah. 
And that's, that just struck me as so true. You know, all the people that convince you that, no, I would never, I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Without the sort of awareness of like, wait a second, like you're, you're not thinking of racism in the way that it should be thought of and you're not thinking of it fully. Yeah, for sure. And maybe you're spending too much time talking about it when you don't have the information to be the one. You're spending way too much time deflecting and saying, oh my God, I'm such a great person. I would never do that. Instead of listening. Yes, instead of listening. Yeah. I, I agree that um, some of the examples that she gave in the book were so hugely illustrative too. You know, yes. just sessions where she's brought to a corporation or to wherever and they, in theory, are very open to learning about diversity. But the second that there is some sort of challenge to white fragility, shit just goes bad. Mm-hmm. And then she spends the rest of the time trying to comfort some white person's feelings yeah yeah yeah. and and you could see that I mean I could see how that is what was happening oh god yeah I've seen that in action of course yes absolutely yeah Yeah, it it is great and I I'm gonna get on the Julia Phillips train and say yes everyone should read this book 100% I mean really and anything Julia Phillips says we should agree with but this was yeah for sure when she recommended that I added it to my list as well yeah I fully agree this is a good one yeah it is it was really really eye-opening in all the best ways Mm -hmm. well my pop culture pick um, I think one thing that you know is talked about with systemic racism is uh, the incarceration uh, mass incarceration yes, of absolutely. black people and brown people. Um, and, and this show doesn't necessarily deal with that, but it does deal with um, what mass incarceration or what incarceration does to a person. Oh, um, this show is called Rectify and it's uh, it's on Netflix. It ran from 2013 to 2016. Um, it was four seasons. It's all done. So you can binge it all. Um, and It starts with this. When Daniel Holden was 18, he was sentenced to death for killing and raping his girlfriend. But after 20 years in solitary confinement on death row, the sentence has been vacated due to new DNA results. So he is set free. And suddenly, after 20 years in a small cell... He is assaulted by, like, light and sound and his family, his very well-meaning family, um, all the people in the small town that he's from that all still think he did it, um, all this pain and joy of life. It all is just coming at him after so long of being just on his own. Um, at the same time, the original prosecutor is trying to save face and reopen the trial. So there's a threat that he could go back to jail at this point. Oh, boy. We learn pretty quickly that Daniel's original confession came after 12 hours of hard pressure from the police and the prosecution, not listening to other kids. Um, There's no physical evidence. There's no proof. Daniel was high on mushrooms at the time, so he can't remember really what happened. But he's, you know, kind of pushed into admitting it. And that that then runs. So in the show, we meet Daniel's sister, who younger sister, who has dedicated her life to freeing him. Um, he, she's, in fact, brought in what I assume is like an ACLU, um, some uh, a lawyer who specializes in this kind of case. There's Daniel's mom, who remarried and had another family after Daniel went away. Oh, boy. And there's a new sister-in-law that Daniel finds himself drawn to. So... What I like about this is that it's a very quiet show. It's it's very personal and intimate. Um, but you find yourself questioning yourself, each of the characters, our entire system. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Um, I chose this for this theme because Daniel had to adjust very painfully to life in this tiny cell. And then after 20 years, now there's this new normal, which is normal by all our standards, but not for him. And so it's, it's very, very difficult to, to adjust. And in some ways, because he was 18 when he went in, he never had to live in his, as an adult. He has no idea really how to function as an adult. He read a ton in prison, so he's very, very bright, but so out of his depth in every other aspect of life, you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I love it. It's very deeply affecting. It's tough, but it's also extremely touching, very satisfying, too. So uh, a good watch right now. Wow. That sounds great. I think I've seen that, but I don't I don't think I ever knew what it was about. I mean, like I've seen the title, but I didn't know what it was about. Sounds great. Um, well, okay, so the my pop culture pick, the way that I looked at change for this one is kind of a, a huge life change that someone else went through that maybe, you know, that's not something that I'm ever going to go through, but I could learn something from or be amazed that they had the courage to do. Um, and this came as a recommendation. You had talked about it, actually, so I watched it. It's called Unorthodox. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix. It was based on a book by Deborah Feldman, and it's a a Hasidic Jewish woman in Brooklyn that ends up fleeing to Berlin. She gets, um, she's running away from an arranged marriage, and she ends up being taken in by a group of musicians and starting a new life there until her old life catches up to her. Um, And it's this very interesting look at um, Hasidic Jews, um, at some of their beliefs and and the way that they uh, live some of parts of their lives. It's a very interesting take on how hard it is to break some of those things that we've grown up with, you know, culturally, however you were raised. Um, you could relate to that, you know, and, and getting away and realizing, God, I don't know anything about the world or I don't know anything about this world because my other world was different. So it, it's gripping and very interesting. I realized that that is not a culture I know much about. No, so no. that was very eye opening. Um, Mike and I watched it together and we both really liked it. I mean, we watched, I think it's like separated into four parts and yeah. powered through all of them because yeah. you just got to know. But the acting's wonderful. Um, it, but it is a really interesting take on change and life change. And it was very entertaining and something, again, that Netflix put out that you can't get enough of right now. Can't get enough of. Um, I also liked that, you know, it, it paid a lot of attention to the fact that she was a female in this orthodox society um very uh lack of knowledge of her own body of how things are supposed to work in a marriage um of sex itself and that was a very compelling plot line i think as well very much so yeah Mm -hmm. a very strong argument for the need for education yeah (laughs) yes When she is told she has a, a hole and she says, nope, I don't have one of those. I don't have that. I don't have that. Don't have that. And the lady's like, you need to go to the bathroom. Don't look in the mirror. And she's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was gripping. It was really interesting. So highly recommend. Excellent choice. Well, thank you. Oh, my God. What do you think? Do you think we just knocked it out of the park this, yeah. this time back? We just killed yeah. it. Yeah. Should we just, you know, hang on the microphone for a while and just, like, talk? Just want to riff for, like, an hour? Just riff for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> let's, and then let's look at our stats and see how many people just tuned out. Oh, gosh. they <laughs> Wait, they did off. their picks by 45 minutes in, and then they went for another hour. Okay, oh, great. Okay. Great. Yeah, I think I'm done. out. I think we're I'm done. out. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. You need to rain it in.
This is the part if we had a producer, they'd be in the window. Yeah. Wrap it up. We don't have anyone like that. So no. no. Suck it, producer. That's not here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So here we go. And you know what? We're going to keep doing this because we are. I think this is better for listeners hearing us in person. And so we did this one this week, but what's coming out next week, Amy? Oh boy. Well, we have been doing quite a few interviews on Zoom with some of our favorite authors. We've got Jeannie Vanasco next week. She wrote the book, Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl. Fantastic book. Yeah. Fantastic talk with her. Loved that interview. so great. Yeah. yeah so that's coming wonderful. next week. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you'll hear us then, and then you'll hear us the next week. And- yeah. We've got more authors coming up. So much more. So much more. So much more. Yeah. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night. Another dream. Before trying this recording thing. I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. Cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.